Welcome to Book Bistro, where book enthusiasts come to chat about the books they love in a warm and supportive environment. This episode is airing on Tuesday. November 24th, 2020. First off, I want to say hello. This is Shannon, and I'm here to wish you a fantastic Thanksgiving if you are in the U.S. I hope you managed to stay safe and healthy and still have a lovely holiday in whatever way seems best for you. So let's talk about books because that's why you listen to the Book Bistro podcast, right? Right. So First up today, we have an interview with author Emily Schultz, whose second novel, which is called Little Threats, was released several weeks ago, and I was really delighted to sit down and talk with her, learn a little bit more about who she is and why she chose to write such an incredible book, so definitely stay tuned for that. And then I have some new books to tell you about. And so, without further rambling from me, let's dive right into the podcast as soon as you hear our usual housekeeping announcements. You can find us on Twitter and on Facebook by searching Book Bistro Podcast. You can always post just on the Book Bistro timeline. Some of you have done that. I'm always so happy to see when you've published posts there. You can join our Facebook listener group where you can chat with us as well as with other podcast listeners. You can keep an eye on some of what we're reading. We usually update you each Wednesday with a look at our current reads. If you'd like to get a hold of us and social media is not really your thing, you can email us. That address is thebookbistropodcast at gmail.com. And now, here is the interview that I did with Emily Schultz. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Book Bistro podcast. This is Shannon, and I am joined today by author Emily Schultz, whose second novel, entitled Little Threats, was released in the U.S. on Tuesday, November 10th, so actually the day of recording. Emily, hello, and thank you so much for joining me. Hi, Shannon. Great to be here. Can we start out by having you give listeners a little bit of an introduction to Little Threats? Uh, sure, yes. So uh, Little Threats is about twin sisters, and one of them has just served a 15-year-long sentence for a murder that she may or may not have committed, and she's getting out of prison and her twin is not there to meet her immediately. And she has to try to figure out um, how to come back into society. And the twin sister, Carter, has to decide, does she forgive her sister? Does she think her sister really committed this crime and is guilty? And it's about the family kind of coming to terms with uh, one of the twins coming back. So as I read this to prepare for the interview, I couldn't quite decide if this felt more like a thriller or more like a family drama. And I thought it was a really interesting blend of the two genres because you kind of meet these characters and you see that they're not all coping very well. But then you also have the crime element. And I really enjoyed the merging of those two. Was that something that you had planned kind of from the beginning? 
Oh, thank you. Um, you know, I, I think the, the crime and the mystery kind of came into it as I went. Uh, when I began, it really was going to be about the sisters and the relationship between two people who are so similar and yet so different. Um, and so, I mean, I come from a, a very literary background and to me, it was um, about exploring these dynamics, uh, exploring families who are still in grief and families who are still in crisis. Um, but the, the thriller element came in and I think it, it makes sense that it did because my last novel was a little bit thrillery as well. Um, but it just sort of happened organically. Um, what happened was I decided to have the crime be reopened by a television crime show host. And everyone starts to put their pieces together. Um, the mystery of whether or not she committed the crime is, you know, something that even she is coming to terms with. So I, I, I'm glad that you think it walks that line because I really wanted it to. I mean, once I decided that it was partly thriller and partly literary, I think I felt a lot more confident in the story and, and figuring out how to tell it. So when you started, did you know the answer to that all-important question as to whether she had committed the crime or did that kind of develop as you were telling the story? Um, it developed. I would say by the time I had the first 50 or 60 pages done, I knew who probably did it. Okay. Um, but I also, I wanted it to be secret from the reader and I wanted it to be secret even from the protagonist, from Kennedy herself. Mm -hmm. So it, there was a little bit of sleight of hand for me to try to figure out how to, um, you know, how to, how to parcel out information throughout the novel. And I wanted us to really like a very deeply flawed person. Um, you know, someone who, she goes into prison because she, essentially moved a body you know she um found her friend in the woods and she rearranged her and um and so she's guilty of something whether she's guilty of the murder or not and i wanted us as readers to be able to forgive her for whatever she did and go with her on this story so that was really the delicate part was trying to figure out how to make someone who might be terrible still relatable um yeah so we also, not only do we see the story from several different perspectives, but we also see some of Kennedy's writing that I think um, was done like while she was in prison. And I'm wondering what prompted you to include kind of those very personal bits of information that like only Kennedy could give us. Well, this is just it. I mean, it's a, a multiple point of view novel. And so there are different characters. Uh, there's Kennedy, there's her twin sister, Carter, there's the younger brother of the victim, whose name is Everett, um, and there's Jerry, the twin's father. And I felt like I wanted it to have many people so that I could show different aspects of what happened and different versions of the truth. But I also felt like it was Kennedy's story. And so I wanted to capture that personal voice. And I thought that her having um, written in prison, I mean, a lot in prison, <laughs> you know, continue their education and, and continue to learn and develop great skills. And so I wanted to um, I wanted to be able to show how she really felt about what happened. And I thought that using the first person and having her writing it very intimately would be a way to do that. And it makes it a little more her story as well, even in this larger cast. Right. I think you always, at least I was always kind of more intensely drawn to Kennedy as opposed to some of the other characters. Like I, w I wanted to know what they knew and kind of how they observed the truth. But 
as far as like where my overall investment was, I would say that it was pretty much with Kennedy um, from the beginning. That's great. I mean, this was something that I thought about is, is how does she tell the truth if she doesn't know what the truth is? So that was another reason why I wanted to bring in different characters um, because they might, they might have a more objective sense of what happened. She was, you know, on LSD the night that this murder occurred when she found her friend, she was high and it, I thought to myself, to write it entirely from Kennedy's point of view would be a real challenge uh, because her memory's spotty and the reader might not know what's real and what isn't. And so that was another reason why I wanted to have her be an, a very intimate viewpoint character, but at the same time, not the only one. You do some interesting things with reality and your question of kind of what is real versus what isn't. And you see that in part due to like the drug, you know, drug use that is talked about in the book. Um, when you were writing it, was it difficult for you to kind of shift in and out of that? Like, okay, I know this is what happened versus like these kind of confused, maybe foggy memories that Kennedy has. Um, to be honest, it was kind of fun to write, um, you know, some of the drug sequences. Um, you know, I'm not method. I didn't have to get high to write them, but, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I have enough experience from my, you know, waste, wasted youth, um, that I could write those scenes. Um, in terms of, of, you know, getting it actually down, you know, sometimes I did have to kind of make a map for who knew what, when, uh, which characters were where, when I had to kind of have like a timeline, a timeline of the night of, um, yeah. Yeah, I did kind of wonder if you ever got kind of confused, like as to who was supposed to can, um, have control over which pieces, just because everybody was constantly moving and kind of you know, sometimes changing what they knew or what they suspected. And it seemed like it would be really difficult to keep all of that like moving in a way that continues to flow and make sense. Yeah, I, there's also, I mean, they have their current dramas, too. So the hard part was, um, you know, being able to balance the past and the past crime with the current timeline. So, for instance, um, and this is just a tiny spoiler, not a big one, um, but Carter, the twin sister, is, you know, as an adult, now she's in her 30s, they're in their 30s, uh, she's sleeping with Everett, who's the brother of the girl who died. And um, it was a real challenge to try to have things like the crime details and who knew what and what is the murder weapon and where is the murder weapon and uh, that kind of thing interspersed with, for instance, like a real relationship arc that's happening. You know, like you have to be able to balance the love story and you have to be able to balance the tension between the sisters and the relationship that they're having now that they're adults versus when they were, you know, teenagers. Um, so, but a lot of that happens in rewriting. I mean, when I first drafted the novel, you just kind of write one scene after another and the characters kind of tell you where you need to go, um, you know, but rewriting is uh, an amazing thing. And my editor was very helpful. She made an evidence list for me at one point so that I could see what the physical evidence of the crime was and oh. how, how to kind of parcel out the clues so that there, it was less of a lopsided book. You know what I mm -hmm. mean? So, yeah. That makes a lot of sense, actually. And I've, I've often thought, um, I read quite a few thrillers and crime novels, and so I've often thought that 
it must be just really tricky sometimes for authors to keep track of all that because it's not a crime that actually occurred. And so it's not like you can go back and, oh, I'm going to look at the newspaper and like refresh myself on certain things. And it would seem like it would be really easy to just sort of you know, get confused if you weren't really diligent about you know, keeping track of all of that. It starts to feel like a real crime. I hate to say that. Um, <laughs> it starts to feel like these people are real also and their, their grief is real and their guilt is real and that the evidence is real, you know, like um, in this novel there are, because it's set in the 1990s, there are a lot of kind of like little pieces, little ephemera from the 90s, like tapes, mixtapes yes. and, and their cases and the girls writing notes, which I don't think teenagers write notes to each other anymore. They just text, but Probably, I want to... Yes. Yeah, I wanted to make a lot of the clues kind of of that era. So, you know, if you think of them as clues, they're clues. But I actually wanted to ask you about that and kind of what um, what influenced your choice to set it like in the 90s and the past and then in 2008 as kind of the more contemporary timeline. Well, I think that we're always trying to reconcile ourselves, um, even if we haven't committed a murder. I think all of us are trying to reconcile ourselves with our past and who we used to be and who we are now, you know, and is it the same person as we grow up? I um, hope not. <laughs> well, but we are a little bit still true to ourselves at that young age. Sure, kind of. And kind of. I mean, for me, that's really the fascinating part. This is why I wanted to kind of have it be almost like a time capsule. You know, she goes away when she's a teenager and she comes out an adult. She's not a fully formed an adult like her sister is. Right. You know, 50, 15 years have passed. And I wanted to kind of look at the difference between um, what we were thinking was socially and culturally relevant in 1993, 94, you know, the death of Cobain. And then now, now in the novel is 2008. So there's almost like another time capsule as you read it, because we're no longer there. We're like, you know, much past that. So just the idea of what changes in a period of time, what changed between the death of um, the death of Cobain and like the election of President Obama, say. So I was um, starting high school when Kurt Cobain died. And so that is, it, it wasn't like a key kind of like pivot point for me because I wasn't a fan of that kind of like hard rock, but it's something that I will like always remember as a thing that happened like during my teenage years. And so I was really, um, really fascinated with the way that you kind of wove all of those things into that part of the narrative. Yeah. And for me, I was a little bit older than the characters in the novel. I was um, in my first year of um, college at the time. And uh, so it was a big moment, even though I wasn't the biggest Nirvana fan, I certainly liked Nirvana. And, um, but I, I did want to kind of look back at that era and, you know, I think especially to young people, you you choose uh, you choose your sort of cultural touchstones and they become your identity. And then you become an adult and that identity starts to fade. You know, your identity is built on other things um, like your like your real relationships and your daily life. Um, so it was but it was a lot of fun going back to it and just um, listening to a lot of bands that I hadn't heard in a long time. Um, but it was also a way to think about the past. I mean, so much has changed since then uh, yes. in, in terms of technology, in terms of how we interact with each other. Sure, because I feel like a lot of the things that happened um, 
in the 1990s, like in your timeline there, would have had to happen very differently had they been set like now or even, you know, 10 years ago. For sure. There'd be much more digital record of, of the events of that night. There'd right, be, where people were. Yeah, there'd be camera footage. You know what I mean? Yes. And uh, we have cameras everywhere now. You'd have texts. You'd have uh, social media posts. And right, so like I GPS kind of. GPS, exactly. And pinpoints you know, where you are at any given time. Yes. And I mean, I, I did. I really enjoy the freedom of doing um, a crime story set in that era where you can have not a lot of, not a lot of evidence. And then it allows you to um, keep, keep people guessing because there's, uh, there's less there to lead. A lot of the thrillers that I read are set kind of in the present day. And so I'm always really fascinated when we do go back and look at how crimes were investigated, you know, before everything was digital. So I was really glad to see that um, aspect in Little Threads. Oh, thank you. I mean, this was something I was thinking about. I mean, and I, I did purposely set the book where she gets out of prison um, as Facebook is on the rise, as opposed to Facebook being such a daily part of our lives now and other social media, obviously. But also it was a way to um, keep it contained so that the story, no matter when you read it, will make sense in the moment that it's set. Um, sure. You know what I mean? But um, I also, I mean, I was thinking about things like uh, Michelle McNamara's I'll Be Gone in the Dark and other crime stories like that, where you have old crimes that are being solved with new technology. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it was, it was, uh, it was an interesting challenge. So did you notice any major differences in your process from writing this novel versus your previous book? Uh, well, I think process is, process is very personal. And um, for me, when it's, when the work is coming and it's going well, it comes very quickly. And so I have a tendency to write a lot really fast if it's going well. And then I do a lot of rewriting. And that was the same with both books, The Blondes and Little Threats. Um, with The Blondes, I went out to the Mojave Desert and I rented a cabin and I was there for about three weeks. And I wrote from 8 a.m. till 4 p.m. every single day. Oh, wow. And that's how I did the first draft was in about three weeks. And then I did a lot of rewriting for a couple of years. Um, with this novel, uh, the Me Too moment was happening. And I had... Um, I had maybe the first 50 pages. I knew I wanted to write a story about women, young women and friendship, which is similar to the blondes. I knew that I wanted to write about twins and what it means to be um, that close with someone and yet have a major rift. Um, and I knew I, I wanted there to be a crime. I wanted to look at uh, the effects that crime has on people and losing somebody and what that means, especially when you lose a young person. Um, but the Me Too moment was happening and it really, after that, I think a lot of us were looking at our lives and looking at our relationships, uh, the ones that were unbalanced. Absolutely. Uh, even if they were consensual. And so I brought in this character of Burke Butler, who's an older boyfriend to two of the, two of the girls. And once I brought him in, the novel came so fast. It came so fast. It just poured out of me. And uh, I think it was my way of responding you know to that to that moment that was happening all around us without say tweeting my own stuff on on twitter instead right. 
all, all of the things that you look back on in your life kind of went into the characters and instead of them being my emotions, they became their emotions. So you have, you have um, things that propel you as a writer and you look for the truth that you understand that you share with your characters. And that was the way that I did that. So when you aren't writing or even when you are, do you read kind of crime themed books or do you try to stay away from those, especially in your own work? Um, I watch a lot of crime shows on television. Um, I try not to watch a bunch in a row because I find it too emotionally affecting. Um, but certainly like I follow, I follow crime. Uh, there are certain cases that I'm more interested in than others. Um, but in terms of reading like i read more literary stuff i read a lot of short fiction i read a lot of poetry i read novels all over the place um mystery novels i, I do read um i edit uh I, w I don't want to say in my spare time but my other my other gig is editing and so i've edited a lot of mysteries for other people um so i yeah i'm fairly like broad in my tastes i guess is what i'm saying so one of the things that we love best at Book Bistro when we talk to authors is authors' ability to recommend books because you all read some amazing things and I have found such great books after talking with authors. So I have to ask you, what have you read lately that you have absolutely loved? Oh, okay. Well, this is hard because there's so many good, <laughs> so many good books to recommend. <laughs> Because I love short stories, I'm going to recommend Rebecca Fischow's The Trouble with Language, uh, which I thought was really good. And I was also going to recommend, um, but everyone already knows Emily St. John Mandel, but I have been buying Emily St. John Mandel's The Glass Hotel for everybody. Oh. And uh, I just think she's an amazing writer. Um, Another book that I've really liked, and I'm, you know, again, like I'm way outside of the thriller genre here, but I loved Melissa Falavino's uh, Tomboy Land, uh, which is a collection of essays all about gender and queer identity. Excellent. Um, and she's just such a beautiful writer, and she gives so much personal insight um, and so much personal detail. Um, so I, I would recommend those three. Awesome. So before I let you dash off into your next round of interviews, I'm wondering when you are like picturing people settling in with your book, are there specific things that you would like them to take away from it? Are there things that you hope that people think about as they, they read little threats? Well, actually I feel like, I don't like to be prescriptive in what I think people should take away from it. I think there's a lot here to chew on. Um, <laughs> there's a lot about privilege and class difference. Uh, you know, the book is set in, in Richmond, Virginia uh, for a reason, because I think it's a really unique place. I spent a couple of years there in the 90s, um, in my early 20s. And um, so that's, that's one thing that I think is <laughs> something to consider. Uh, as I was saying, um, you know, I think there's a lot to think about in terms of time and how we change and how people move on and how people um, find resolution with themselves and with others and how people overcome. But at the same time, I'm always so interested in what readers bring to the book. Like one of the things I love about writing and about reading is that it's an active experience. It's and true. the reader brings as much in, I think, as the writer puts in. 
so I'm always interested to hear what other people took away from it rather than my trying to have one singular message. So if readers want to contact you online, what is the best way for them to do that? Uh, so my website is emilyschultz.com and it has all my social media links. I'm on Instagram as Emily Schultz Writer. I'm on Twitter under the handle Manual of Style. I'm on Facebook under Emily Schultz Writer. Uh, so I'm there. The only thing is, can you spell my last name? It's seven letters. It's S-C-H-U-L-T-Z. I know it's a tough one. All right. Well, congratulations once again on the release of Little Threats. And I hope that people pick it up and fall in love with it because it is most excellent. Thank you so much, Shannon. All right. You take care and happy release day. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, so we are going to talk about books, new books, books coming out this week, in most cases today, as you're listening to this on the 24th. So as you may have noticed, November is not the biggest release month, things kind of slow down. I do have a good collection of titles this time, but it's not as robust as some weeks. So the first books I'm going to mention are books that you've heard us talk about before on our most anticipated books of November episode. So first up, we have Grave War, which is Alex Craft, book seven. And from what Brooke says, the final book in this oh so fantastic series, this is by Colina Price. And I talked about a historical romance called Confessions in B flat by Donna Hill. Stacy and Natalia and Mika and me and Brooke. We are all super excited for the new Nora Roberts book. This is The Awakening, Dragonheart Legacy, book one. So this is the first book in a new trilogy from her featuring dragons and alternate realms. It looks super exciting. I can't wait. Okay, so now I want to move along to some books that we haven't talked about before. First up, we have Better Luck Next Time by Kate Hilton. And this is marketed for fans of the TV show This Is Us. I have never seen This Is Us, but my partner really loves it. And I've heard good things about it from other people as well. So this is... Better Luck Next Time by Kate Hilton. It is the story of a feminist icon and her daughters. And apparently these women could have the perfect life if only they would stop self-destructing. So this is a book that looks like it's going to be kind of funny in places, but also contains quite a bit of heart. Again, it's Better Luck Next Time by Kate Hilton. And let's talk about some romance. First up is a historical by Minerva Spencer. This is called Notorious, and it's Rebels of the Tall, book one. Um, this does not look like it is connected at all to her Outcast series, um, but it is about a woman who can't help but be attracted to the brother of her best friend. However, marriage is like the furthest thing from what she wants. So what is a girl to do? 
If you want to know the answer, you'll have to read it. It is Notorious Rebels of the Tall, book one, and it's by Minerva Spencer. Then we'll talk about some paranormal urban fantasy here. Archangel's Son, Guild Hunter, book 13 by Nalini Singh is out this week. And although I am not as fond of the Guild Hunter books as I am of her side changeling books, I really love this intense, complex world that she has created and how vampires and angels both have huge roles to play, but in ways that you don't necessarily expect. So these are a lot of fun. I highly recommend them. This is the 13th installment. Again, it is called Archangel Sun, and it is by Nalini Singh. So the next two books are more kind of lighthearted urban fantasy slash paranormal romance. And if you pay attention to the reading tastes of those of us on this podcast, you know that these are not my speed. However, I wanted to mention them here because I know several of my fellow beastresses love this kind of thing, and I know a lot of other people do too. I tend to prefer my books like darker and a little more twisty and, I don't know, compelling. I'm not... I'm not as into the the funny, quirky type of fantasy. So first up, we have Wolf Untamed, and this is number 11 in the SWAT series by Paige Tyler. And then we have The Princess Knight. This is Scarred Earth, book four, by G.A. Aiken. And for those of you who don't know, G.A. Aiken also writes as Shelley Laurenston, so you can check her out as both authors and if you love one of them I have heard you are likely to love the other as well because she writes really really fun and funny and sexy heroes and heroines okay how about some romantic suspense which is a little bit more my speed here this is cross your heart take my name by Novanil Chakraborty, and it is about this couple who meet in an airport. They fall madly in love. It is this like soul deep connection, and then six months later, one of them goes missing. This is romantic suspense. It looks super, super interesting. I'm really excited for it. It's Cross Your Heart, Take My Name by Novanil Chakraborty, and hanging out here with more of the dark and twisted, I have a new Aletha Romig book. This is Dusk, Danger's Web, book one. And Romig is not an author that everyone is going to be drawn to. Um, her books are very, very dark. Usually they involve some sort of abduction or lack of consent. So definitely pay attention to the trigger warnings that appear on her books if you decide to give her a try. I love her kind of, oh, like thrillery sort of cult series that she has. Um, some of her darker romances are not quite my thing, but some of them are really good. So check her out. Be cautious. Um, she's got a lot of really great book ideas if you know where to find them. So this one is a spin-off of her Sparrow series. Apparently you don't have to have read Sparrow in order to read this and it is Dusk, D 
Dangerous Web, Book One by Aletha Romig. So let's talk a little bit about some science fiction. First up is like a heavy hitter in the book world. Um, Ernest Klein wrote Ready Player One several years ago, took the world by storm. People who weren't really big readers kind of dove into this book, especially if they are fans of gaming. And now there is a sequel. This is Ready Player Two by Ernest Klein. It is out this week. If you've loved the first one or you've never read it, but you are wanting to binge both of them, now is your time. And then we have... A book by Susan K. Quinn. This is When You Had Power. And it is book one in a series called Nothing is Promised. Again, the author is Susan K. Quinn. This is science fiction set in 2050 in a world beset by plague. And our heroine is struggling for human connection, not to mention like straight up survival. Um, She can possibly join kind of a family group, but they have some expectations of her that she's not sure if she can meet. I have never read Susan K. Quinn. Um, I believe that Kristen has read one of her fantasy series and has really enjoyed her. So I wanted to make this one known to listeners. This one is When We Had Power, Nothing is Promised, book one by Susan K. Quinn. And rounding us out today are two historical novels. So Philippa Gregory has a new book out, and this is called Dark Tides. It's Fair Mile, book two. And Philippa Gregory is known for these wide-ranging, sweeping sagas that really transport you back in time. So if you're a fan of her writing, you'll definitely want to pick this up. Again, it is the, it's Dark Tides, Fair Mile, book two by Philippa Gregory. And last, but certainly not least, we have The Last Days of Ellis Island. And this is by Gail Joss. This is a story told in a series of diary entries from the point of view of an immigration officer who is looking back over the 45 years he worked and lived on Ellis Island. And it's 1954 now. Ellis Island will soon be closing and he's kind of just looking back trying to figure out like what choices he's made have been good what should he have done differently so it's kind of an introspective more than an action-packed book but if you're interested in immigration to America and kind of what that looked like historically you might want to check this out it is The Last Days of Ellis Island and it's by Gail Joss. And that does it for me this week. Again, this is not the world's best release month, but I hope that you have found at least a few things that excite you and get you all geared up for another week of reading. Again, have a happy, healthy, and safe holiday. If you would like to leave us a rating or a review, you can do that on Apple Podcasts or any other platform that you use to access the show. Not only does it tell us what you think, but it also helps other people find us when they're looking for book-related podcasts. Um, It kind of advances us in the Google algorithm. So I will be back next Tuesday morning with an 
author interview and of course the guide to new releases and some number of us will be back on Friday with more bookish greatness. Take care everybody. Thank you.